Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Corinthians 3 verse 11. We'll read this one verse of Scripture together and then let that springboard us into our thought this morning. Uh, The Apostle Paul said this to the church at Corinth there in verse number 11. He said, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here to them is is that they are to be reminded that that there is no other foundation for the church of the living God than the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, If you look here in this, the context here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul begins there in verse number 1, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto were you not able to bear it. Now, uh, excuse me, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He's dealing with them about their spiritual life and their level of spiritual maturity. There in verse number 4, he gives some examples that they can see in their own life that they are spiritually mature, and that is, is that they're arguing uh, over their attachment to certain preachers. Uh, that They say, one said, I'm of, of, I am of Paul. In other words, I'm one of his followers. I'm one of uh, his, um, uh, his uh, uh, disciples, if you will. He is my mentor. And then says, and another, I am of Apollos. Apollos was a, was a very eloquent speaker, a great uh, educator of truth in that day. And so one says, I am after Paul. I'm, I'm of this camp. And another one says, I'm of Apollos. I'm of uh, that camp. And he says, are you not carnal? Let me just say this, and this isn't the message, but let me just say this. We ought not to be so involved into what camp we're a part of. Amen. Uh, whether you're of this camp or that camp or why I'm this kind of independent Baptist or that kind of independent Baptist and this was my college or these were my mentors or whatever the case may be. God's not interested in us being divided in such ways. That's that, that sign of carnality. If we are where we need to be with the Lord, we ought to be able to receive truth from anyone, uh, any human instrument that God uses uh, to convey truth. So verse 4, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Paulus. He said, are you not carnal? Verse 5 puts it into perspective. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Uh, so the, the human instrument that God uses to convey truth, they are simply that. They are ministers being used in the hand of God. We ought not to prop them up any higher than what God has said that they are to be. Ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. God has given, the Bible says in other places, given us pastors and teachers and evangelists and those types of ministers that we may grow in Christ. Verse number six, Paul says this, I have planted 
Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. In other words, he's saying we are giving all of the credit to the human instrument that God is using, and really it is God that is doing anything. If anything good happens in my ministry, it's because God's the one that did it. If anything happens uh, great for the Lord, great uh, spiritual successes in our own lives, in our own ministries, it's not because we're something great, but it's because God is great. Amen. Uh, Paul said, I just planted, I just did my best to get the seed in the ground. I planted, and Apollos came along, and he watered the seed that I planted. I gave the gospel initially. I'm teaching these uh, truths in their initial stages, and all of these others are coming along, and they're just watering uh, that which I gave. In other words, we're all in this thing together. We're all working together. There is, should be no division in the body of Christ in this way, but it is God that deserves all the credit because where I planted and Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Any fruit, any growth, it's because God is giving the increase. Verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything. So Paul said, I'm not anything because I'm just a planter. Neither he that watereth. He said, Apollos isn't anything in and of himself. He's just uh, the man pouring out of the watering can. Amen. But he, said, but he says here, he said, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth, verse 8, are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so there are, there are men being used in greater ways because they're laboring more intensively is what he's saying. Everyone's going to get a reward according to their labor. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. We're not on an island by ourselves, but everything we do is to be done cooperatively with God. God, see that's a part of ministry that I think we forget oftentimes uh, that we are not just uh, the ministers and we are uh, the one, we are just the end all to be all. No, when we, when we surrender to what God has for our life, whether it's a call to preach, whether it's a call to be a teacher, whether it's a, whether it's a gift to sing, whether it's a gift to be an encouragement, whether whatever the, whatever the gift you're using uh, in serving the body of Christ, whether you're trying to be the best soul winner you can be, whether you're trying to live a clean life, to let others see Christ in you, whatever you're doing uh, for the Lord Jesus, we must understand that when we started doing that, all we did was partner with God. Amen. Uh, he, was, uh, he already has a plan. He already has a work. He already has things that need to be done. We're just getting on board with God, and then it is God that does what He does through us. So He mentions that there uh, in verse number 8, verse 9, for we labor together with God. You're God's husbandry. You are God's building. In other words, God grew you like uh, like a, a planter grows. Uh, God is building you like a like an architect would. Verse nine, verse ten. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. And let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. In other words, God is saying that that Paul is saying here that God has given him a wisdom how to be that apostle to the Gentiles. That really uh, God is using in these early days of the church to give the ch give the church their foundation, our doctrinal foundation, our organizational foundation. All of those things, all of those things come uh, from the Apostle Paul and from the letters that God uh, had for him to write in the Word of God. And so, with that, uh, we see the warning there, verse number ten. Paul said, "I'm trying to lay the foundation of the church of the living God, and God has used me to do that, and that's my role, and that's my place." And now others are building upon, and he includes the Corinthians 
Corinthian church in this. He reminds them that they too are going to be building upon the foundation that God has used him to lay. And everyone needs to be careful how they build upon that foundation. And if, if, you, if you can have a great foundation, but if you begin to erect a building uh, foolishly, then you can have a solid foundation before it's done. Everything you've built on top of it will call, cr come crumbling down. You may still have a good foundation, but everything that's built upon that foundation is going to be destroyed. And so Paul mentions those things when we come to verse number 11. So for no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is reminding us that even though God is using him, uh, God is using him to build the foundation doctrinally and organizationally and in other ways for the New Testament church, don't, Paul is essentially saying, don't pin roses on me because the foundation I'm laying has already been set forth by Jesus. And I believe the implication here is that it is Jesus Christ. That is who the foundation is. Paul is being used of God to just try to connect people to what God is already doing in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is simply continuing as the rest of the apostles are as well what Jesus began in the days of his earthly ministry. And really if you want to think about it all the way back before the foundation of the world, the purpose of God and the plan of God was already in action. And so he talks about how we must build upon the foundation. Paul, he is writing about building upon the same foundation that was laid by Christ and the other apostles. In other words, he is saying that he's not looking to start a new building with a new foundation, but he has is, he is endeavored to build upon that which was provided for, started by, and proved ultimately by the Lord Jesus, and then also by the other servants of God that have come along before him. Can I say this this morning? Uh, today there is Obviously, and there is obviously a drifting away from the very heritage that we have. Ultimately, and the beginning of the new, uh, beginning of the New Testament church, the foundation is Jesus, and we were handed uh, a foundation of Jesus Christ and a body of doctrine, a body of beliefs that come from the Apostle Paul as he laid the foundation. And other, it was their job, uh, others' job, to take uh, the foundation and to faithfully build upon with the doctrines that they had been given from as Jude said those that had come before those saints of God that had come before and so here we understand that you and I are part of this building upon ministry that the Apostle Paul is mentioning here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and as the body of Christ the New Testament church has been given the solemn uh, but yet sacred obligation to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and upon the life's work of the Apostle Paul as the Apostle to the Gentiles there have been some that just plainly and honestly have dropped the ball especially in our generation. We here at Beacon Baptist Church we are an independent fundamental Bible believing Baptist Church and I submit to you that I believe that and I, I wouldn't be what I am if I didn't believe it. I believe 
believe that we as independent fundamental Bible believing Baptists we have been given the body of doctrine that I believe can be traced all the way back to the New Testament can be traced back all the way to the life of Jesus Christ all the way back to the days of the apostles but the problem is is all of us and I you know I could include I can include any other denomination in that as all of us have been given the doctrines of the Bible and the reason for the such dispersing of beliefs is because somewhere some way somebody failed in, in building on the foundation the way they should have but I'm just going to talk about us for a minute this morning uh, we as independent Baptists are, have and are dropping the ball when it comes to carrying uh, the foundation of Christ and the, the doctrines that Paul gave us as a foundation to the next generation that's the reason why we see so many uh, so many uh, churches popping up and most people in those churches know nothing about the Bible, nothing about the, uh, the, the true doctrines of the faith, nothing about even the core uh, doctrines of our faith, the fundamentals of our faith. And so as one man dropped the ball after another, what has happened is, is we have lost our identity. And so for this morning, I want to preach on the subject of our identity. Others have, drift, have drifted away, as I've said, from the foundation that we have. Some are drifting away because they simply have rebellious hearts. Some drift away because they think that they can find some form of uh, supposed success more quickly by going away from what we understand is the truth of God. Some drift away because they've been hurt, they say, or disen uh, disenchanted or disenfranchised by uh, the body of doctrine that we hold in the churches that we have as our New Testament uh, inheritance, amen, of faith. Others, I believe, are drifting away simply because they do not know who and what they are. If you, most people, you ask them, why are you a Methodist? They, well, my grandma was a Methodist. That's the best they can say. Why are you this? Why are you that? Sad thing is, you ask the average Baptist, even independent Baptist, why are you what you are? And they'll trace it back to a family member somewhere and not a day where they came in contact with the truth of the Word of God and they weighed out what is being taught in the churches of our day and decided this is what is in line with the Bible and that's why I am what I am. Now I will say this, I have never been a member of a church other than a Baptist church. All of the churches I've ever been a member of have been, um, have been, uh, have been Baptist churches. The first church I was ever a member of was a Southern Baptist church when I joined it for about two months before the pastor pulled us out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Actually, we were kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Amen. I don't know if that happened in two months, but the pastor said we're not sending the cooperative. He took the church, said we're not sending the cooperative program any more money, and they said if you're not going to send us money, you don't get to be a part of what we are. And so, but hey, that was easier for us than having to try to go through all of the all of the uh, the process to get out. Amen. And so I was a Southern Baptist for about two months. Amen. And then after that, I've been an independent Baptist all uh, the way through. In the Southern Baptist Church I was a part of, you would have walked in and it would have it would have functioned just like this one. But they were technically Southern Baptists in name only. And then, of course, I 
have been a member of uh, a Resurrection Baptist Church. My home church has never been anything but an independent, uh, fundamental uh, Bible-believing Baptist church. And then the two churches that I've pastored, I've held membership there as well. And that is quite obvious being the pastor, both of which have been independent Baptist churches. And so uh, I've never been a part of anything other than a Baptist church, but I was raised in a, in a Wesleyan church as a child. And uh, I'll say this, that I remember the day, uh, my, that's where my sister still goes to church. If you think, if you don't know what a Wesleyan is, just think Methodist, it's pretty much the same. And uh, they literally split 200 years ago over their views on slavery. And so hence why the two different names. But that's the church that they took us to. That's the church, the first church I ever walked into as a child. That was the church my dad was a member of when he passed away. It's a church that my sister, my twin sister is still a member of uh, today. And uh, the church that my brother's a member of, I, I can't tell you what they are uh, because they don't have enough boldness to even put what they are on their sign or any of their literature. So uh, they're just a hodgepodge of whatever they want to be, I guess. Uh, but I, I say this, you're looking at somebody that understands what it is to have a day in my life where I did not, and, and by the way, uh, when I became a Baptist, I did so on my own. My parents, I remember I said, my dad died as a member of a Wesleyan church. My mom died attending my home church, but was never a member anywhere our entire life. That I never joined a church anywhere the whole time that I knew her uh, in my life as my mother. And so uh, when I became a Baptist, I came uh, to become a Baptist on my own. I made the decision to join on my own. I didn't stand with my family to join the church. I stood as a 14-year-old boy by myself in the front of the church to join the church. And so I remember a day when all of the things that had been taught to me as a, as a boy, especially concerning salvation and the security in salvation, they don't believe that you can, they believe you can lose your salvation. I remember those things not lining up with what I was reading in my Bible and God pointing me in the right direction. And I walked into our, I walked into our Baptist church, Westside Baptist Church in Calpins, and I sat there and I, and I I began to hear the pastor at the time, Brother Lewis Jackson, preach, and I remember him preaching, and I said, everything he says is right here on the pages of the Word of God. I, I was 14 years old and had never had that experience before, to where the preacher's preaching, and it's all in the Bible what he's saying. I had never had that before, and so God did a work to where I had in my life to decide, what is my identity going to be? What do I want to be identified with? And by the way, you will be identified by something. Amen. And we are living in a world today to where the idea of identity is becoming more and more important, I guess you would say, than ever before. Some in our nation are trying to transform and redefine what it is to be identified as an American. They're trying to rewrite our history. That revision is taking place in front of our eyes. We see it in the streets. We see it in protests. We see it in uh, the removing of monuments. We've seen it here even in, the, in our state as they have removed things that uh, in, in, in prominent places that identify us not just as Americans but as South Carolinians and they're trying to take our heritage from us. Amen. The goal of these groups is to, uh, is to uh, fundamentally change America by causing Americans to no longer realize who they are and what they believe. 
believe. And so what, what is it that we believe about the Constitution? They don't want us to, to know what the Constitution says. They don't want to teach it to our children uh, anymore. They want to redefine it. Our, our, our Congress is wanting to redefine it. And so they're trying to take our heritage away and they're trying to take our identity away as Americans. And I'll say this in the day that we're living in, if you're going to be a, you're going to be a Bible believing Christian, you have got to know your identity because others out there say that they know what their identity is and their identity comes in direct contrast to what the Bible teaches. And we have to know why we are what we are. They're trying in our country to redefine marriage. Marriage used to be one man, one woman, one lifetime. Now our government says that it can be, it can be whatever. They're trying to re-identify the home. There was a day where the, where the home was recognized as the husband is the head of the home, the wife is the heart of the home, the children are the heritage of the home, and that's the way it was. And now in our day, they're wanting to take the biblical model of the home and turn it on, turn it on its head to where the children run the mama and the mama runs the husband. Every time you turn on a TV, they have some weak, limp-wristed, effeminate man taking orders from the wife, and both of the parents are scared to death of their children, and there's no control over the home. And so that's where they're trying to redefine our country. They're trying to redefine marriage, trying to redefine the home, trying to redefine what it means to be a pronoun in our day. Gender pronouns. They're trying to redefine proper sexuality, that instead of heterosexuality, which is expressly seen in the Word of God and in the, by the couples that are mentioned in the Bible, they are all heterosexual couples if they are in the will of God. They're, they're, and by the way, heterosexual couples is what you see in all of nature too. I'm telling if a beaver can get it right, I think we should be able to get it right. Amen. I'm telling you. But you see it in all of nature. Why is that? God has a design for sexuality. Amen. God has a design for reproduction. And to go outside of that is to go against God's order, to go against that which is natural, and to go against that which has brought us to today, allowing us to exist until today. You know, I, I heard it said that if you took, which I'm not, not necessarily saying this, but if you took a certain number of men and a certain, a certain number of biological men and a certain number of biological women and a certain number of trans men and a certain number of, uh, or a certain number of trans women, excuse me, and you put them all on an island, you go back in a hundred years, you know what you're going to find? Whatever that many number was of all those different people, you're going to find that many uh, skeletons. Amen. If you have so many biological men, and so many trans women. You're, if you have, uh, you know, if you have a total of 110 of each, guess what you're going to find in 100, 100 years? You're going to, if you have biological men and transgender women, when you find their skeletons, you're going to have the skeletons of whatever that number is, men. Amen. Because the skeleton is going to identify the biology. Amen. You know, there was a day in our country to where if you thought you were someone or something else, it was identified as mental illness. <clears throat> if I thought that I was Josh, Jacob, Joseph, and whatever, if I thought I was all of those people at the same time, 
and you got wind of it, somebody in this church would be telling my wife, you might need to get your husband some help. <laughs> because he doesn't know whether he's Josh, Jacob, Joseph, whatever. He thinks he's three different men. But now in our day, I could, it's all right as long as I don't. And if I think that I'm Joseph instead of Josh or Joseph and Josh at the same time, but as long as I'm not Josephine or Jacqueline, then that, if I, as long as I think I'm Jacob and Joseph and Josh at the same time, that's mental illness. But if I think I'm Josephine and Jacqueline, then that is just my identity. What makes, what makes one insanity and the other one just, this is the way that I am? Is it the gender itself? Is it the fact that I think I'm only one? Both of them, I think I'm somebody that I'm not. Why is one mental illness and one not? We're trying to redefine what it is to have. We're trying to redefine what is illness and what is what is right thinking. I'm, I'm telling you that as we look at our day, we realize that all of the all of the redefining and sexuality. I think as we try to naturalize and make it make uh, homosexuality accepting, we are paving the way for, for for further levels of depravity. Do you realize that it is it, it is is being worked on in our country to try to make pedophilia a sexual orientation. If you can go from God's established order and say, I'm a, I'm a man attracted to a woman, or a woman attracted to the man, heterosexual uh, relationships and, and attraction, if you can normalize two men or two women, then you, you don't have to go very far to begin to normalize an adult and a child. You don't have to go, and I know I'll probably get hate mail online for this, but that's okay. If you can go that far, and we already see it in our country, them trying to say, well, just like this, so-and-so is a man attracted to men, well, this is a man attracted to a young boy or to a young child. They say, oh, well, that's just their preferred attraction. You don't have to go very far to say, at that point, this is a man that's attracted to a horse. This is a man that's attracted to a dog. Yeah. Sexual perversion, sexual perversion. And we understand that that is in the heart of men because it's talked about in the Bible. God in the Old Testament gave laws against pedophilia, laws against bestiality, because as long as you're going against God's order, there is no bottom to the depth of the, of the depravity of the human heart. So we're trying to redefine things. Romans 1 tells us how God feels about sexual perversion. I don't have time to preach that, but I'll say this. You go back and read it. You'll understand that if God feels that way about homosexual relationships, about how unnatural it is and how it is a sign that they have completely removed God from their knowledge and God has given them up and God has given them over to, <coughs> to a reprobate mind is the reason why they're doing those things. If that's the way it is with, the, with a perverted relationship, at least between two men uh, or two women, two human uh, adult human beings. If God feels the way he does about two so-called consenting adults uh, engaging in perversion, you can only imagine how God feels about an adult with a child or a person with, with a beast. Amen. It is a perversion in uh, the, ex the most extreme form. And if we do not understand our identity, if we do not understand what we are and why we are what we are, we will lose our identity and when we lose our identity we will lose our direction 
George Orwell made the statement, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and to obliterate their own understanding of their history. Let me say this to you, names matter. Let me say that again, names matter. Labels matter. They are important. They are descriptive. They are the defining marks of who we are. I'm telling you this morning that we need to be very careful knowing who we are and why we are what we are. In a climate and a world where they want to redefine identity, let me ask you, what is your identity? All of us should agree with Paul here in 1 Corinthians 3. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, uh, which is uh, Jesus Christ. The foundation of our identity must be anchored in Jesus Christ. Any other identity pales to that. Every identity that we have beyond that should have at its foundation Jesus Christ. Well, you want to know who I am more than being Josh Lawson, more than being a part of the Lawson family, more than being Victoria, uh, uh, the, the Victoria Herbst's husband, more than being the father of my three children, more than being the son of my parents, more than being the pastor of Beacon Baptist Church, more than any other uh, identity that you can pour on in my life, the chief identity that I have is that I am a child of God through the, my Savior, His darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. It's, I, if you want to know who I am, I'm a child of God. That's my chief identity. That's your chief identity. However, we are living in a world today where simply saying that I belong to Christ is not enough. Because there are all kinds of uh, folks that have uh, their version of identity that say, I belong to Jesus and I fall under the umbrella of the identity of Jesus Christ and it is dangerous to not know who you are and what you are and why you are what you are. And in the day that we're living in, they're trying to blur the lines of what is Christian and what is, what is Christ-like and what is biblical. And so therefore you have to know beyond just simply the foundational identity what you are. We here at Beacon Baptist Church make no apology for being independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. That is our identity here at Beacon Baptist Church. So let me, amen, well, <laughs> Brother Tommy, I may need next week too. Well, the week after. Amen. I, I think this is important though. First of all, what, what few minutes I have left, let me just deal with what it means to be independent. The word independent means that we're not influenced or controlled Amen. by others. Amen. In matters of opinion, conduct, or thinking, we are not subject to another's authority or jurisdiction. Right. When Paul said, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, and he says that's Jesus Christ, the foundation of us being built upon Jesus Christ literally means that the only one that we have to answer to as Christians that are to fall in line with the identity of God's children in the Bible is that the only person that controls, that dictates our, our life, uh, dictates our walk with God, that dictates our, the, the organization of our churches, the direction of our churches, the only person that dictates that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Amen. alone. 
Our church here at Beacon does not look to a governing board or a convention for leadership, but rather we look to the pastor as the under-shepherd, uh, and we look to the Word of God for human leadership and for physical leadership. If you have the Word of God as, as your instruction manual, and you have a pastor that's trying to faithfully uh, distribute that Word to the congregation with with no other oversight, guess what's taking place? If the pastor is preaching the Word of God and not his opinion, then God is the one that is leading the church. The church is independent. Amen. We do not have to send a, a list, a report to a convention or a governing body for our right to exist. We do not have to ask permission to be what we are. Brother Tommy was telling me before service this morning about a large church in our area that made uh, that what I believe to be a, a good decision for them uh, in removing themselves from the United Methodist Church organization because of the liberalism of uh, that, that has gone uh, to the as far as you think you can go left. That's as far as they've went left. Embracing homosexuals, embracing genders in leadership and all of those things. That's how far they've been. Now if we're going to go in line with this, I think they need to take it a step further and they need to make their church, not a Methodist church being removed, not no longer being United Methodist, and now we're just Methodist. But I think they need to make the change to Baptist to get it all the way right. But at least they're one step closer. Amen. But we don't, you know, they, they had to go to their governing body to make that choice to leave and to be allowed to leave. We don't have to do that. When we make a decision here at Beacon Baptist Church, we make a decision. If it's a very small decision, I'll make it. If it's a large decision, we'll bring it before the church, and we'll vote on large decisions for the church. And if the church says this is what we want to do, that's the only, we don't have to ask anybody else's permission to do that. By the way, can I just say this? That includes other independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches. We don't have to go to the down to the church of the road to try to adopt their vision or their ideas for our church. We are independent. We are our own church. We are our own entity. Uh, we should pray and seek God's will for our church, not try to model ourselves after other the churches, whether they be great and like-minded churches. We believe in what is known as the autonomy of the local church. Autonomous means self-governing. We have our own rules. We have our own procedure under which our our church operates and we are free to follow God's word and God's will as we understand God is leading us to follow those directions. If you study the book of Acts, you will not find one church mentioned that had a governing body over them. The Apostle Paul as an apostle in the early days of the church trying to get, as I stated before, the doctrinal foundations into the church. And he is the one that's teaching a lot of these things and writing the letters and trying to get the New Testament church established in its earliest form. He, at a position of apostle, did have a role of leadership and authority over any Bible-believing church, any New Testament church, to where he could walk in and he could share uh, the, the, he could share uh, what God was leading for the New Testament church, the, all of the body of Christ as a whole with that pastor and they would adopt what he is saying. But then again, Paul was also in a unique position because when Paul picked up a pen and he put it to paper, the man was writing scripture. 
if somebody can come in and every time they write something down, God puts his amen on it and says, that scripture, then maybe that might be somebody we'd listen to real heavily. Amen. Right. But in all seriousness, that's not happening today. God's given us everything. You see, when Paul was doing what he was doing, the Word of God was not a completed volume yet. The canon of Scripture was not completed yet. Now we have everything we need to know to follow the dictates of God leading our heart and to go forward for God. We have everything we need to make decisions as an individual church. We are independent. Amen. We are self-governing churches. Our churches are pastor-led. Uh, they are uh, they are deacon-served. They're congregationally approved. They uh, follow the leadership of the pastor as he follows Christ. They follow the leadership of the Holy Ghost through the Word of God in their own life. They, we might operate and cooperate rather in ministry, but no church is controlled by others. We as a church here uh, at Beacon, we will here in a couple of weeks on Easter Sunday morning, we will join a sister church, actually several sister churches in an area-wide uh, Sunday night Easter service over at Gantt Street Baptist Church. But we in our own self are our own church because we make the decision whether or not to go. Brother Ralph's not going to be, amen, I love him, I listen to him, but he's not going to make us come. Why? Because they're their church and we're our church. Lighthouse is their church that'll be joining us. Blythewood is their church that'll be joining us. Joel is their church that'll be joining us. And so we are all self-governing. God does not listen to me now. This is the last statement that I'll make. And then whenever we maybe have time, we'll jump back what it means to be fundamental. And I think that'll be a good study. God, listen to me now. God does not promise perpetuity to a convention. He does not promise it to an association. He does not promise it to a fellowship. But in, in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He promised perpetuity to the church. What I mean by that is he said to the church of the living God, to that church that is, that is founded on me, that is living for me, that is doing what I want it to do, and they are, self, they, they are themselves doing what I'm telling them to do, I promise that there will never be a day in the history of this world that yes, the church may have to go underground. Yes, the church may be in heavy persecution. But listen to me. Jesus said that there will never be a day where there will not be a, a, will not be a Bible-believing church on the earth. There will never be a day. He did not promise perpetuity. But God did promise that His church would prevail. We are independent. We are fundamental. We'll deal with more about that later, possibly. We are Baptists. I can even say we are Bible-believing. And that's part of our identity. So, don't let anybody take your identity. Amen? Don't apologize for who you are and what you are. Don't let the world in the day of trying to redefine identities, don't let them pull you off of the ground that you've taken to be an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist Christian. Because I believe, and I think I can get a good hearty amen, I believe that if we were to look back in the Bible, all the disciples, all the apostles, if there had been a name for what they are, they would be what we are. That's right, that's right. Their doctrine is what ours is. Yes, Jesus preached Baptist doctrine. Amen. When it was time for Jesus to go and to show us what the rite of baptism looked like, 
He went to a Baptist preacher that had baptized him in full immersion. Jesus was a Baptist. Amen. I make no hesitation to say it. I know folks will hate me saying that. But if you get baptized by immersion, that's Baptist doctrine. That's right. Amen. Jesus went to a Baptist preacher in the River Jordan, be baptized in a Baptist way. And if Jesus was a church member, he, I believe he'd be part of an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. Amen. Don't lose your identity. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.